Today's guest is Wendy Rose Williams. Wendy had two near-death experiences in 1997 while she was pregnant, and today we're going to learn about those experiences. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you, and welcome. Oh, my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Uh, You're welcome. All right. My audience loves to hear about near-death experiences, so if we can start on the day that yours happened. Sure. Well, just to set the stage, I was thrilled to be pregnant. My husband and I were expecting our second child and we had had uh, infertility issues and I'd had two ectopic pregnancies and we also had a toddler. So just thrilled to be newly pregnant. I was 10 weeks pregnant. I'd had one visit to the doctor. Everything's looking great, except I've just got this heartburn, just this a massive amount of heartburn that's not making sense to me. And I was also uh, just having very unusual precognitive dreams, but I didn't know what precognitive dreams were in 1997. I didn't know you could have a dream that could foreshadow uh, something that was going to come up in the future. So I'm working at home. My husband's at work uh, at his office with one car and our nannies at the park with the other, uh, other car with our daughter, our toddler. And I just can't get comfortable. And I just keep like going in the bathroom. Like, am I going to be sick? What is wrong? I try and lay down. I try and work again. And I was just so restless. And Jeff, I was actually feeling impending doom. I have never felt that before or since, but it was just my body and just everything trying to warn me something's really going on. And what the dream was that kept repeating uh, for several weeks before the NDE occurred was I would just see this violent storm at sea. And every time, same thing, all the masts are tearing off, all the winches, the cleats, it's like all this ripping and tearing, the boat breaks in two and the ship goes down. So what are you supposed to do with something like that? But I think it really was my body trying to warn me, um, your, your ship's about to go down. And I, again, like just, you know, wandering through the house, trying to get comfortable. I'm in the bathroom. I'm thinking I'm going to be sick. And uh, instead, just this searing pain in my abdomen. And I felt like an organ burst Mm. is the best way I can describe it. So Mm. I'm looking down uh, kind of in puzzlement um, at my my stomach because I literally felt like someone stuck a knife in me. Mm. And I passed out on the floor. And never passed out in my life. And I'm just curled up in a fetal position when I come to. And the reason I come to is there's just this insistent male voice. Wendy, Wendy, you've got to wake up now. You've got to call for help now. So I'm looking around, opening my eyes. And I was shocked because the entire bathroom is filled with the most gorgeous, just these beams and these rays of white light, like I've never seen. It's just dazzling. And it's coming from like these four or five figures that I can only describe as angels. And I was just so, so um, surprised. And I mean, it was so 
welcome and uplifting of the circumstance I was in. And the angel said to me, you've got to call for help now, or you're going to go home. And I knew exactly what he meant, uh, that I needed medical help or I was going to die. And I responded to him, okay, I get it, but I, I can't, I can't move. I can't walk. I can't, I can't get to the phone. This is before cell phones, you know? So his reply was, you just need to be willing to try. If you're willing to try, we can help you. We just need you to get up on your hands and knees. We can take it from there. So I managed to get up on my hands and knees and it was like being lifted. I, it was like being flown, like gently flown from the bathroom um, into my, my bedroom. And there's the phone. So I, I'm still astonished, but I'm like, okay, you got to be in action. You can think about all this later. You can analyze all this later. And I didn't think to call 911. If there was ever a time to call 911, that would have been a good one. But the angel just said, call for help. So I called my husband at work. And there the miracles continue because I reached him on the phone at work. I have never reached him at work, I don't think before or since. But it was it was logical to call him. He worked five minutes from home. And I give him great credit because all I said was, I need you to come home right now. I need you to drive me to the hospital immediately. And all he said was, be right there. And he like threw the phone down. Um, so I just had time to call the OB office and they said, get in here right now. Um, that's great. Your husband's bringing you right now. They didn't mention 911 either. And what they said was, when you get here, don't park the car. We'll meet you with a wheelchair. We don't want you walking. And luckily the OBGYN office was right at the hospital. So we get there. And they whisk me up to their office and they take me straight into an ultrasound room and try and do an ultrasound of my abdomen, which by this point is like distending and getting bigger and bigger. And I'm looking at it because, you know, 10 weeks pregnant, I don't look like I'm pregnant, but now I do. So I'm looking at the screen because I had ultrasounds before and I mean, you could, you know, you could see organs, you could see different things. And I literally said to the ultrasonographer, is that on? Is your machine working? Because I couldn't see anything except just black. And she said, no, no, no problem. I'm just going to go get the uh, doctor right now. And so she uh, leaves the room and returns very quickly with a physician and with a nurse midwife. And my husband and I are just like looking at each other like, this is not good. And the reason you couldn't see anything on the ultrasound was it was just blood. I mean, it was just pooling blood because what had actually happened, which we wouldn't discover for a few days, was the uterus had burst. There's something called the fundus, which is at the top of the uterus. It's an aorta. So I was about to lose um, an estimated three quarters of my blood supply. Uh, fortunately, I'm right there at the hospital and the OB says, okay, we need to get you up on the floors right now. You've got some kind of major bleed going on. We need to stop the bleed. We need to start transfusing blood. So, uh, you know, felt very fortunate to be there and in good hands. And they take me up and admit me um, into the OBGYN unit. Or no, actually, I was admitted onto the surgical floor. Um, and they try to ask me my blood type, which I know, uh, fortunately. 
And I hear the nurse calling the blood bank. We have a central blood bank in the Seattle area. Many hospitals use this one uh, blood bank rather than having their own uh, blood. And she's finding out there's been a major train collision a couple days before. And guess what? They don't have any A negative for me. So that's not good. So there's a delay. So I'm in bed just laying flat with instructions. Don't get out of bed even to go to the bathroom. We want to see if we can get this bleeding to stop. And we're waiting for, for um, to be able to start transfusing blood. So there was some discussion. Do we do surgery right now? And I'm looking at him like, we don't know what we're doing surgery on. So I'm, I'm resisting. And they're like, fine, um, you know. And we do need to wait for the blood too, because we're also concerned that we may need may need blood products during the surgery. So um, I'm transfused for several days, and they're checking my hematocrit um, each day, and it's just dropping and dropping and dropping. And I am so uncomfortable with the transfusion. It must have just been. Uh, just like cranked up on full. I mean, I can see the bags emptying uh, surprisingly quickly and we're hanging more bags and hanging more bags. And we get to the point after about three days where the physician says to me, we've got to do surgery. You are bleeding out. It's like, I know, I understand. And just during those days, I just, I felt like I didn't really care about anything. I, it was hard to stay awake. It was hard to answer questions. I would like doze off and, or, or just, you know, be moving toward unconsciousness right in the middle of a conversation with the doctor or the nurse. And so this was not normal at all. And I just was feeling like I was like getting lighter and like more free. So we agreed to do the surgery and I'm going to be first on the schedule the next morning. So that was a big decision to make. And I'm feeling some relief because we have we have made the decision. It does feel right. Mm-hmm. And that night um, after dinner, you, know, you get those early hospital dinners. And I'm trying to just relax. I'm trying to visualize a positive outcome the next day with the surgery. Because it's pretty scary. And the minute I visualize a positive outcome, I pop right out of my body. I just leave my body. I cannot tell you how much better I felt because no more pain, no more worry. And I looked down at my body in the bed and I did, I did have some humorous moments. I'm feeling pretty detached and I'm looking down going, Oh my gosh, she's whiter than the sheets. And I noticed I'm referring to myself in third person and I'm like, Hmm, not feeling very attached to that body. And I also, (laughs) I'm like critiquing, oh my gosh, she looks like a wild woman. No one has like brushed or combed her hair or washed her hair for days. So I did have that funny thought too. And then I just, I look up. So I stop looking back at the body and I'm continuing to float up and I'm looking up. I go through the ceiling of the hospital very easily, just float through it. And I am seeing all this white light, just like I did in my bathroom a few days earlier when the angels were there. So it's like, okay, I am going there. That looks wonderful. I'm so uh, drawn to that. 
And I did have another funny thought, which was, oh, please do not make me walk through that long tunnel. I didn't know a lot about NDEs, but I guess I had heard of people walking through tunnels to get to the light. And I just, I was too exhausted. I just was like below empty on the gas tank um, with just such, such significant blood loss. So I remember thinking, oh, please don't make me walk through the tunnel. The minute I think that there's this pristine, gorgeous escalator appears and there's no one on it. It's just for me. And I'm like so relieved to get on it. And I look down at myself once I'm on the escalator, no body, just this round white um, orb, like a big beach ball. But it's looking like deflated and like not the right shape. Um, and I just lean on the escalator railing thinking, whoo, I can just catch this ride up. So I go up and up and up, no sense of time, no sense of space. I couldn't tell you if that was two seconds or two hours, just no, no idea. It just didn't matter. It just felt so great to be going up to the light. The minute I get to the top of the escalator, I take one step off And I am met with my soul group. And there's like this just best, like welcome home party. And I get this tremendous big group hug. And the angels that had been in my bathroom were there. All my grandparents were there, which I thought was super cool because I knew my mom's parents well, but my dad's parents had died before I was born. So to see everyone and to see them all as these white orbs, but yet know exactly who they were and to be getting this, this hug because it was unconditional love. And I'll be honest, I could have stayed there forever in that moment because how often do you really feel unconditional love? Typically, Love, frankly, it's conditional. I mean, unless it's that, you know, that parent like looking down at that newborn, maybe that's that moment we get closest to unconditional love here on on earth. But I'm just getting this this amazing um, group hug from everyone. And then the same male angel that narrated in my bathroom, he speaks again. And he says, welcome home. We're so glad you're here. You've done nothing wrong. You're very welcome to be here. You're very welcome to stay. Uh, But it's your choice to make. And you need to make the choice. You need to make the choice now because you won't be able to stay very much longer and still have the option to go back to the body because the body won't be viable. So I'm really paying attention. And what he tells me next is, I can tell you a few things that will help you make the decision. I can tell you if you do go back, you're going to have a successful surgery tomorrow. You will recover from it fully and your baby will be born healthy. So this was two huge things to know. But then he adds, you also need to know if you go back life will likely be very difficult and continue to be very difficult for you for many years because you're not on your life path. You're not living your purpose. 
So I'm really concerned and ask them the natural follow-up question. Oh my goodness, what am I not doing? I want to do the right thing. Of course, I want to live my purpose. And you know, what, what, please tell me what, what am I supposed to be doing? And he just smiles and shakes his head. So being the persistent person that I am, I'm like looking around at everyone else thinking, oh, come on, one of them's got to give. <laughs> Can I get info? Can I get a little tip from someone else? And they're just, they're just all very gently, you know, it's just such love, just like, no, can't tell you. Some of them are being silly and they're putting like duct tape over their mouth. Some of them are like locking their mouth with a key and like throwing the key around, key away. I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm really not going to get any more information. So I accept that. And when they ask the question, do you want to go back or do you want to stay? I said, I said, I want to go back. I absolutely want to go back. Because the minute they asked the question, all I could see was my adorable daughter, my little, my little daughter. I could just see her face. So they said, great. And they gave me one more hug, this big group hug. And the second time I got that group hug, I caught on. It wasn't just unconditional love. They were downloading energy. I felt so much energy from them. And I'm not sure I would have survived that surgery um, and done as well otherwise. But they gave me that gift. And then I just, they, they turned me around and gently put me back on the down escalator. And I'm just like waving back over my, over my shoulder. And they're just like cheering me on and saying, you can do it. You know, you're going to, you're going to be able to do it. You're going to be able to figure it out. Um, and I just went down feeling so relieved um, and so supported because I had not felt that feeling of connection before. I had not felt that level of wisdom and support. I didn't know that was available to me. So that was just a really big deal. So I float back down into my body. I just gently pop into it. I do get a good night's sleep, surprisingly, the night before this big surgery that, by the way, they've never done before. And they're researching um, how and what to do because we still don't know what they're going to be operating on because they didn't learn until they actually did the surgery that it was my uterus had ruptured. They must have used some imaging while they were doing the surgery. Um, and were able to tell me, because of course a 10 week old fetus is just so tiny. And they were able to say that the fetus was so tucked down so low and that they were operating, um, you know, up at the top of the uterus. So, uh, I recover, I'm in the hospital for a few more days and I go home, uh, six weeks, uh, bed rest essentially. So feeling very fortunate that we've got that, uh, amazing live in nanny, um, who's with us um, taking care of our toddler because she had me to take care of and help too. I go back to work um, six weeks later, uh, part-time the first week, and then I go back to full-time. It's a job I love. I've been there about three years, uh, just glowing performance reviews, really good fit. And then surprise, about uh, six weeks after I'm back to work, I get called into uh, my boss's office on Friday afternoon, which I don't think a thing about until I walk into that room and I see his face. 
and I see human resources sitting with them and I see there's this file on the table and just they are looking like, oh my God, I wish I could be anywhere else. I mean, studies prove it's harder to lay someone off than it is to be laid off. So I, I, I just, I know what's coming the minute I walk in there. So I'm laid off from a job I love um, that, you know, pays well and our family really depends on. And I'm also carrying the health insurance for the entire family. And reminder, I'm pregnant. So we've now not got no insurance for me to deliver and I'm out of a job. So um, I go home and, you know, lick, lick, lick my wounds for the weekend, uh, tell my husband, tell our nanny. And we're all like, you know, kind of strategizing. Okay, we're going to get through this. We're going to figure it out. But we've got a new house. We've got a brand new minivan because, uh, you know, everything kind of related to that stage of life and, and uh, babies. And um, finances are really tight. So I file for unemployment, get approved for that. I'm looking for a job, um, but honestly, not feeling great. And I think that was one of the blessings in disguise was I did not end up going back to work until after the baby was born, um, three months after. And I think I really needed that to recover my health, but I didn't fully, you know, fully realize that. So that's one of those blessings in hindsight. So a week after I am uh, laid off, my husband comes home from work um, surprisingly late uh, on a Friday night, and he walks in the door, and I can just see the weight of the world on his shoulders and asked him, so what's wrong? You know, you okay? What's going on? And he said, I've got something really hard to tell you, so let's sit down and talk about it. And I need to let you know that my company just went to payless paydays. And I've run that around in my head like a couple times. I'm like, okay, that doesn't compute. That's an oxymoron. What's a payless payday? <laughs> and the situation was he owned his uh, own software company with five other people. Um, there were about 100 people in the company. And they had uh, just really um, had a very sudden downturn in business. And they had laid off almost everyone in the company. So he's letting me know he's going to be working exceptionally long hours because he's got to do uh, programming and things that he doesn't normally do to fulfill contracts that they've already sold. And um, I'm not happy with this decision and there's no discussion of it. It's all like fait accompli. He's already decided it. So I just ask him, okay, I realize this just happened today and you haven't had a chance to catch a breath, but have you filed for unemployment and then he lets me know he's not eligible um, because he chose not to uh, pay the premiums because they were expensive for um, someone being self-employed. They were uh, technically possible at that point. Um, again, there had been no discussion with me. So um, I'm, I'm starting to see red. Um, and I was remembering, gosh, the angel said uh, things are likely to get really challenging. So this was all in November of uh, 1997, which was a huge economic downturn. So he and I both both got caught in it. And we so we I, I agree because I don't have a choice because he's decided what he's going to do and he's going to be working the super long hours trying to fulfill, finish up those contracts and also try and sell his company. 
So, and just, you know, so much tidying up to do. How can they uh, wrap up their lease as quickly as possible? They had a big office. So he's going to be focusing on all that. And he asked me, he says, okay, please take care of the family finances, figure it out, just manage our budget. So I'm doing all that. You know, what can we take out of savings? What can we, what can we charge? Uh, What can we do? Um, but I'm, I'm running the numbers. There's just, there's just no way my unemployment only does not cover <laughs> what had been two full salaries. And we can't let our nanny go. She's on a contract. And as I said, new house and new van. So I was like, okay, let me just go through the budget, be logical about this. What are the big expenses? Let me call the bank uh, where our, um, our um, home loan is. And let me call the lender uh, regarding the the van and let them know, hey, we've had a we've had a setback, two MBAs, great careers, looking for work actively, but letting you know we've had this setback and we are both uh, technically at the moment unemployed. So can we negotiate something regarding skipping some payments, cutting down on the amount of payments? What, what can we do to work together here? So that was not a very um, successful conversation for me with either lender. And the bank told me that as soon as we missed payments, as soon as they were uh, legally able to, um, they would be foreclosing. So, gee, thanks for letting, letting us know was kind of the response. And I'm like just gasping, like, okay, evidently I was naive. Same conversation with, with the lender. And they let me know that they will be repossessing the car. Um, as soon as we miss payments. So I'm trying everything. I'm like, okay, can I get a part-time job? Can I be, you know, doing something different, different industry? I'm trying everything, but I am just really looking pregnant. I am not looking well. I'm not feeling well. And um, kind of the hits just keep on coming. So we were fortunate. I was able to go to Bank of Mom and my mom... um, really was so kind. She dug deep. It was not easy for her, but she was able to help us pay the shortfall um, every month. Um, Cause I did, I did get some, I did get some severance and did have that unemployment, but she was able to help us until we both uh, got back to work. So uh, I delivered um, a healthy baby and it was, um, it was frightening. Um, I did have another encounter with the angels or just hearing that guidance. I'm sitting in the pediatrician's office and you know how you're just trying to keep your, your uh, child happy and quiet while you're waiting for the appointment. But I could hear as I was waiting, I could hear that same angel voice say, look, look. So of course I looked down, is my, is my child okay? Is everybody else's kid okay? And they were, I'm like, what, what do you want me to look at? And then I see on the side table, I've never noticed it before, I see this brochure that's labeled WIC, W-I-C. I have no idea what this is, but the angel's saying, look, look. So I go over and just, you know, grab a copy. It's like, okay, stuff this in the diaper bag. I'll read it when I get home. What it was, was Women, Infants, and Children program, which is specifically designed for situations like ours, where, um, you know, you owned a home, but you just, you could not pay the bills. There just was an extenuating circumstance going on. So I qualified for health insurance for myself and for my daughter, and it would cover the delivery. 
So it's like, oh my goodness, just so grateful to have found that. It also helped us with food. So um, just just provided kind of like the old food stamp program, so to speak, where you had certain certain healthy foods um, that were able and that that really um, helped us out. So that was that was a big deal. I was grateful. I was embarrassed and chagrined, but I was grateful to um, have those services for the first and only time in my life. And what happened next was I was again um, delighted and so fortunate. I did decide to deliver at my local community hospital. The doctor and I talked it over because it was absolutely a high risk delivery um, because they were afraid that the um, that the uterus might um, rupture again um, with the you know just the pressure of delivering. So I'm just visualizing the best I can. Okay, baby, down and out safely, not up to my heart and lungs. They gave me my own one-on-one nurse, which I just, I couldn't believe. And I was so, so grateful for, and that really brought my anxiety down. Um, And I delivered in about, about 12 hours. So it it went, it went pretty darn well. Um, And so we go home with the, the newborn. I deliver on a Friday. We go home from the hospital on Saturday And guess what? My husband starts his brand new job. He's been able to sell the company. He starts back to work on Monday. And I'm kind of like, oh, wow, that was fast. (laughs) Now at this point, I'm kind of wishing you were home to help. (laughs) But fortunately, again, we did did have that nanny who was just such a family friend and so fantastic. Um, And she'd been with us for several years. So I was much more fortunate than than most. I just, I don't know how parents manage that on their own with, you know, several... (laughs) several kids at that time period. Um, And I then was able to go back to work three months later. Um, So I did, I did start interviewing about a month after the delivery and it was just so much easier because we were just through the stress of that and knew we had a healthy baby and I was finally starting to feel better. Um, So that's, that's what happened. Thank you for sharing that story. Absolutely. I'm going to go take you back to the beginning when you were in your bathroom and your bathroom almost seemed like it changed dimensions because I guess it still looked like a bathroom, but it was all white. Like you were at another dimension at the same time. Would you agree with that? Oh, that's a great way to put it. It did feel elevated. I didn't even think of that, Jeff. That's just, that's a great point because yes, we don't normally see our bathroom full of a bunch of very large angels. Yeah. They just felt like they were like six to seven feet tall and I couldn't see them because there was just so much light. So I didn't mm. see like wings, but I just knew I was hearing angels, angels, angels. Were they just like beings of bright light and it was just kind yes, of hard to focus it, on them? Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not especially clairvoyant. I'm mm-hmm. extremely clairaudient and claircognizant. Mm-hmm. So I sense and I know and I feel and I hear. Um, And you could probably kind of like hear that the way I narrated this. It was a lot of hearing Mm -hmm. rather than being shown images that you had to interpret. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit unclear when you popped out of your body and you were looking at your body and thinking about it in third person. When you were doing that, did you realize that was you or did you think that was some other patient in the hospital? I did. I knew it was me, but I also knew it was only a single aspect of me. It was only a temporary body housing. I felt like my pure soul, my whole soul self, when I popped out and became that 
white orb again. I knew it was me, but it wasn't all of me. It wasn't enough of me. Hmm. Did you feel like that was just a shell of you? Um, I was in the two places at once. I was clear it was Wendy Rose Williams and that was me, but I knew I was more than hmm. Wendy Rose Williams. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah. Cause I've had a guest before that would say, I don't really care about Wendy Rose Williams anymore. They're so happy where they're at. They just don't even care about their original or that earthly identity. Yes. Yes. I can tell you if I, if I had not been pregnant and Mm -hmm. if I hadn't had that amazing daughter, I would have stayed home. That would have been the easiest choice that Mm. there just wouldn't have been a second thought. I came back for my children. Uh, We won't tell your husband that you said that. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's fair enough. And 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 let's let's look at the the full picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say this with great respect. He'll always be the father of my children. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for the 15 years. But mm-hmm. we divorced, which is very common. Oh wow! After near death experiences. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, I think. Yes. That, I think the. It's one, such a shift. Yeah, I think that one of my guests said that it's about 50 percent or so. I'm not surprised. Yes, it really, because everything is just different. And that was another moment. Um, I was really um, thrown when I first got home with, with the baby because I was so grateful to have a healthy baby and to be through it because it had been an ordeal clearly. Um, But I, I wasn't home more than a day And I was just holding her and I again heard that very clear voice say, your contract with your husband is complete. Mm, Wow. And I was like, ouch, what does that mean? And as I, you know, kind of felt into my heart and explored it, I knew it meant our marriage was over, but I just, we, we did stay together another um, five years and just Mm -hmm. did our darndest to be good friends and, you know, great parents and just did our best, but it just, I don't know how else to say it, but that contract was complete. I found the contract years later, our contract was to have a long-term marriage, which we did and to have beautiful children together. And the plural was very pronounced. Mm. So how interesting that the minute the second baby is born and we've had children, I was done. I'm very curious about what you said that you are suffering because you were not on the right path. And yes, and sometimes I talk with the guests about, you know, suffering and we may talk about that. Well, you know, that's how your soul is. You're suffering because you come here to learn and that's part mm-hmm. of learning. And, and, you know, what's the point of suffering and what's the point of life if you're just suffering? But I've never heard it in the angle that you presented it at, which is you're suffering because you're not on the right path. Can exactly. You, can you tell me more about that? Sure. Because the struggle is real. <laughs> You know, we really, I, I, I think, I think pain is inevitable pain and struggle. Cause that is how we learn and progress and are tested. And it's, it's how we enjoy the good times. Cause we've been through the challenging times, but I see that 
pain is is inevitable. Suffering is optional. I do choose to opt out of suffering, meaning I'm going to try and reframe that. But the struggle was, I just, I was just living this, you know, conservative um, life, just a casual Christian, busy, hardworking mom, um, just not in touch with my spirituality, not in touch with what I needed to be doing at all. It wasn't even on my radar. I wish I could say that the near-death experience got me on my path, but it was just the beginning. I feel like it was like, take the chisel to this very stubborn stone, <laughs> just for this, this egg that just is so hard boiled, it doesn't want to crack open. And yeah, it, it started the fissures, it started the openings. But I didn't know what to do with the near death experience. I didn't talk about it for over 20 years. I just which again is this strange hallmark for people that have had NDEs, because it's like, you don't know how to process it or integrate it. So it's wonderful, Jeff, that there's podcasts like yours, that there's the International um, uh, IANS, International Association of Near-Death Studies, and, and ENDERF, and these different groups and books to help people. Because you can get support, you can get information. And I just, I didn't have any of that. So what happened to get me on my path, the next big thing that came up was we divorced um, when the children were six and eight and just did it as peacefully and kindly as we could because we both were smart enough to just make sure that the kids don't suffer from this. Yes, they're going to have some changes they're going to have to adapt to, but we worked really hard to keep things as much the same for them as possible. We were fortunate. My mom had retired. I'm the only child. It's the only grandchildren. So she relocated from Boston uh, to Seattle to be with us. And grandparents can be such a big deal. I mean, she helped so much with after-school sports transport. So the kids were able to do things they wanted to do that they hadn't been able to do before. So we tried to, you know, put some little what's in it for me. And we asked them both to say, what are you most? We're just, we're still a family. We live in two homes now. What are some of the things that are most important to you? And they said they still wanted to go on the annual camping trip. So we did. We just did it side by side. <laughs> and, you know, just just took the kids. And we still did um, all holidays and all birthdays and everything together. Um, so it just took a lot of, took a lot of, um, what's the word? Self-discipline. Um, to do that, to do that, you know, with your with your ex where communication's mm -hmm. been really hard, but we did it for the kids and it was the right thing. And I think we both grew as people um, as a result of that. So flash forward to 2010, I've been divorced about six years. The kids are thriving. Uh, they're in their early teens. Uh, my career's really going again. Um, we've got mom as, as backup for both my husband and me. It's important to understand. She was like this wonderful neutral player. And uh, it's, it's 2010, and I decide, okay, I'm ready. It's time to meet a nice guy. So I have no clue how this is accomplished because it's been 25 years since I've been on a date. Mm -hmm. So I asked, my, I asked my younger girlfriends because that, that was a good call. 
And they tell me, well, there's this thing called match.com. Just go on match.com. If you're not meeting through, you know, through church, if you're not meeting through mutual friends, I'm super busy. Mm -hmm. I'm just not meeting meeting people and just not not seeing that as a possibility. So I'm like, what's match.com online dating service? And they're like, okay, we're going to help you put together a profile, pick a couple pictures, fill in your profile. We're going to show you how to do this. I was like, good, because I don't have a clue. So I go on match with the intent of meeting a nice guy, just that simple. Who do I meet? I meet the man who turns out to be not only a soulmate, but a soulmate that shockingly I'm going to discover I have known in 19 lives. Hmm. And he also has the soul contract to wake me up spiritually. And now I'm going to get on the path. So he simply tells me about a journey of souls by Dr. Michael Newton. He was getting ready to go for his own second life between lives, which is a four hour uh, spiritual regression where guess what? You go to the light, you go home, reunite with your soul family, learn what it's all about. Does this sound familiar? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, I think of between lives, um, hypnotherapy or life between lives as an NDE without the trauma (laughs) caused you to be, um, you know, at that, that near brink of death. So he puts in the very end of his dating profile, I don't think anyone on earth has ever done this. Mm -hmm. I really want to meet a woman on the spiritual path, especially if you are interested in an LBL. So when I'm first reading this, and I have such a reaction to it when I see his profile, and I've been on there for a couple months, but the minute I changed my geography, because it matched you, how far are you willing to match from your home or work zip code? The minute I changed it to 10 miles, his came up immediately as the first match. I have the strongest reaction. I know this man. I absolutely know this man. And I, I'm like... I know what he's going to write before he writes it. I know what some of the pictures are going to be. And I didn't, I didn't feel psychic. I didn't understand how strong my um, intuition, any of our intuition could be, but it was just one of those moments that life really shifted and changed and got onto a higher plane and got into high gear. So I write back to him and say, what's an LBL? Is that life between lives? Are you referring to Dr. Michael Newton, Journey of Souls? And he writes right back and says, yes, do you know about it? Have you done any of those sessions? Are you interested? I said, I just ordered the book. I'm waiting for it to come in from the library. It takes us three weeks to sync schedules and meet because business travel, whatever. But that again was perfect because it gave me time to get the book and read it. We meet for lunch um, on a weekday. I'm sitting in the uh, foyer of the restaurant on the bench, just I happen to get there first. And I'm sitting there. I know him when he comes in. Yes, you have pictures, but guess what? A lot of people don't look like their pictures or they're using their glamour shot from 10 years ago. Also, pictures don't show you size of people. But the minute he walked in, it's like, I know him. I know him. And I couldn't stand up. I just was like glued to that bench. And he came in, he immediately recognized me and he dropped down on his knee in front of me to like peer into my eyes. And he said, I know you, I Mm. absolutely know you. 
And it just was like our souls talking to each other. I've never had an experience that strong like that. So we had played the game of where have you lived? Where have you worked? So once he did that, I was able to stand up (laughs) and we go in and what should have been an hour lunch turns into three hour lunch because we just didn't want to leave. And we're still trying to figure out where we know each other from this professional organization Uh, you know, friends of friends, churches, we're comparing everything. And we both said, um, it's not this lifetime. And he said, do you know what it is? I said, yeah, I I, I know what it is. It's, it's from other lifetimes. So it just, it just took off from there. And he really helped me get on my spiritual path. That's amazing. So if suffering is an indicator that you're on the right path, once you moved on the right path, did you move into a life of abundance and happiness and non-suffering? Sure. And I do see the difference still between struggling and suffering. Um, I absolutely was struggling um, until 2010. And then things started to really, really change. And it did not flip the switch and go into, you know, easy abundance and perfect health. That's been a journey over the last 10 years. But I was able to resolve 40 plus years of chronic pain. Um, mm-hmm. I've got severe scoliosis. So uh, Harrington rod, um, wow. my spines all, spines all fused with a 14 inch metal rod. Mm-hmm. But I was able to uh, move through that too. And it's like, so what? Scoliosis is just a word. It's not progressive. It's for me, it's been repaired. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to have pain? So I started to just like question that and to just look for how can I be as active as possible? And how can I release this pain? So I was able to do that via healing sessions, working with healers, having my own past life regressions. And I was also able to peel the onion on what is up with the finances Mm. because they were really a struggle for me. And it was just, it was always hard. And I finally got to the root cause on those. And it took a long time. Many of us have taken vows of poverty. Many of us have been nuns and monks and just, just taken vows that were appropriate in that lifetime. But I believe that, emotions are timeless and we can still be carrying emotions and be be carrying hurts with us that don't serve us anymore. We've got to find a way to release the emotions Mm -hmm. and just free up that energy so that we are living the life we're supposed to be living. So if you don't mind sharing, what is the path that you're on now that you're supposed to be living? Sure. Uh, The big surprise. So I had been an MBA and I had worked in healthcare uh, business development um, for 30 years. And then the big surprise, um, because of um, my boyfriend going for these sessions um, with a Newton therapist and just him so freely sharing how it had helped and changed his life. I knew from the minute I I read journey of souls, I was supposed to go have a past life regression. Hmm. And that was a surprise to me because I didn't meditate. I didn't have any spiritual practice. I had no idea what was going to happen. If anything, I thought I might get there, get there. And I just, I just have to take the risk and just invest a couple of hundred bucks and just be willing that maybe nothing's going to happen. So I had my first session a year after he and I met and it was magical. I couldn't believe how much was accomplished in two hours. 
I released a lifetime of anxiety. And to have that be gone, it started to free me up that I could take the chances and do different things and make, you know, bigger changes and moves and be willing to try things that had always, I had just kind of put up so many self-limiting beliefs before because the anxiety would kick up. Um, So uh, I had another, I had my own life between lives the next year. It was phenomenal. I actually transcribed it and typed up everything that I had said during the session because you're recording, you're able to record yourself speaking, to hear your higher self speak through you, to hear your guides. It's life changing. It was 65 pages of information I had never known. So these were the things that helped me get on the path. I had two more sessions the next year um, with a quantum healing hypnotherapy, a Dolores Cannon therapist. And at that point, it's like, I am meant to train. I know I'm meant to do this. Mm. So I did become a past life regressionist. I continued to have an energy healer, Reiki master energy healer. I continued to have so many experiences that I just had to understand and be able to take care of myself that I became a certified spiritual teacher. Um, So that was the big surprise um, to go in such a different direction. Um, It really um, was very um, concerning and off-putting for my family. Um, It threw a lot of my friends off. Um, A lot of people did disappear from my life because it was such a belief system change to go from this conservative MBA to really being out there and okay, now I'm a spiritual teacher. (laughs) I'm leading past life regressions and helping people heal all the things that I went through. Uh, Because I'd come up through the trenches um, with with so much of it, Um, with the difficult relationships, the heartbreaking relationships, with the finances that just didn't work, didn't support me, um, and with so much physical pain um, and just a lot of mobility issues as a result of that. Um, So that was that was the the 360 um, that came up. In 2017, I was laid off again, another job I loved. I'd been there almost 10 years and had planned and hoped to retire from there. And that was, that was, pretty, that was pretty scary because at that point, I had two daughters in college. Mm. It's like, oh, goody, can we just make this be more traumatic? <laughs> but so I, I, did, I did file for unemployment. I did look for a traditional job, but I could hear. I could hear my guides saying, you're not going to find it because you're not meant to find it. And you need to also be building your own business. And I, luckily, I had already been doing sessions for people um, on a part-time basis for several years before that. And I had already um, just just published my first book at the end of 2016. And there was so much more writing I wanted to do, but I didn't have time because I was working full time. So, but things were really shifting. You know, girls are off in college. I'm starting to get more time. And um, so when I was laid off, I, I knew it was time to start my own business at that point. Be really be in service. That's great. Um, since you mentioned your book, and I think you have a couple of books out, what are I the do. titles of your books? Sure. So you can find them on Amazon and Audible under my full name, under Wendy Rose Williams. So um, the first one, Regression Healing One, um, the Huntsman, the Lord High Mayor, and the World War II Soldier, that one's actually uh, my former boyfriend's past life regression that I facilitated for him because he had so much pain. He'd broken his neck. 
he'd been a lifetime athlete in a high contact sport. So just a lot of physical pain. He also didn't know how to connect with his guides. And his guides kept tapping me on the shoulder saying, tell him this, tell him that. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. He needs to be able to do that for himself. I'm not, I'm not his psychic medium. And I don't want to get those messages wrong. So that's what that first book was, was his session. And he generously just let me blind his identity mm, wow. um, and share it. So it's, it's, the, full, it's the full transcript um, with some explanations. It was very surprising because he not only saw those three lifetimes that are named in a lot of detail, but when he was speaking as his higher self or guides, he was able to narrate. He knew everything about all the past lives we'd shared, as well as other past lives he'd had. Because uh, we were in that place of the Akashic Records, that place of all knowledge. And he was just drawing parallels and saying, that's why this happened. And now let me make the point better. So it was, it was just amazing. Mm. The second book, um, The Flow One uh, Plymouth Plantation, that one is, I wrote it as historic fiction. I wrote it as metaphysical fiction, but it's my past life um, in Plymouth Plantation as Anne Warren Little. And I had profound memories. I had so many memories and I had such an incredible, crazy, confusing um, experience with a ghost um, for over 20 years. And it was a ghost. It was a young, heartbroken woman from colonial America. Um, And I didn't know who she was when she first started showing up when I was first married. Um, And so just all those experiences to just purge all that energy and get it all straight i had to write a book (laughs) Mm. so that's that's where that came from do you have a website i do so my website is my full name wendy rose williams.com and you're so welcome listeners are so welcome to go to it and request a complimentary 15 minute phone appointment be so happy to just talk with people see how i might be of service to them and there's also a big frequently asked questions guide on there to help people understand what can regression healing because it's really an energy healing it's not just past lives i take people to a healing temple get them connected with their guide which might be their own higher self or intuition and then we do we go to the time and place with the most healing and information for their life today that might be scenes earlier in this lifetime because people can have trauma that they just don't realize where they're stuck And we need to release it and reframe it. Or it might be the more traditional past life, could be a parallel or simultaneous life. That's that whole quantum, uh, quantum um, string theory, everything's happening now. Um, You know, that that's a whole separate conversation. Or they might hop, skip, jump to a future life, which is fascinating. It's a potentiality, it can change at any time. And then we cross over and we do like a mini um, between life state where we cross up to the light and go to um, a place of all knowledge and get answers to their important questions they've written for their session because they can write up to 20 questions, which their own higher self and guides answer, which is super empowering. It's not, it's not a psychic reading. I'm not telling them I see this and you used to be Cleopatra's maid. Mm. It's not, it's not that type of an experience. It's their own wisdom, the distilled wisdom of their soul coming through. Are you on any other social platforms? Like, do you have a YouTube channel or a I Facebook do. Page um, I have or... a YouTube channel and I have a podcast. I podcast oh, wow. live 
uh, twice a month with a co-host and it's called Waking Up Spiritually. Um, so there's a Facebook live um, group for that where we, we do that the second and fourth uh, Sunday of the month. And you can go to wakingupspiritually.com and see all of the past podcasts there. There's also a YouTube channel for it under that name. And they include PowerPoints because um, Greg, my co-host and I felt like it was kind of boring to just look at us talking. So we thought it was like more fun and it's just easier to listen when you've got some visuals with it too. So we do them as PowerPoints usually. Oh, cool. All right. Well, before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message that you can share with the audience? I do. Uh, just, just do your best to be be kind and loving with yourself and just do your best to connect with that, that soul wisdom and that innate wisdom and know that you absolutely can get help learning how to do things like ground and clear your energy and raise your vibration and start to discern what's true for you. Um, you know, life doesn't have to be um, so, so difficult. We can find our path and get on our path, even though you may have floundered around like I did. I didn't begin to wake up till I was 49. Mm -hmm. And then it's just all come on in the last 10 years. But certainly there were the things, you know, leading up to it, like the ghosts that wouldn't go home and, and the uh, near death experience, the things that helped lead up to it. So uh, just be kind to yourself and be kind to other people and know there's good quality advice available. Mm, thank you for that. Absolutely. And Wendy, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate it. Well, my pleasure, um, Jeff. And perhaps another time we can talk about interplanetary because that's another big thing for people to realize that they may have lived on other planets or be having encounters with beings from other planets. Also other dimensions. There's so many people remembering um, lives as mermaids and dragons and fairies in other dimensions. And it's, it's super interesting. Oh yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I've had a few guests that are um, star seeds. So that's kind of, yes, exactly. Kind of the exactly. same on the same vibration. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Cause I just see a star seed as someone who's lived on other planets and mm -hmm. um, potentially in other dimensions too, as well as on earth. So, mm -hmm. you know, we can figure out how to balance that energy. Cause I had a heck of a, an issue. Um, and it, it started off pretty, pretty rough with remembering um, some very unpleasant um, alien abductions. So to be able mm -hmm. to clean that all up, declare myself sovereign, mm -hmm. that that was not going to be an issue for me. And to get to the point where I absolutely just adore and can connect very happily with galactic family and not to be using the term aliens anymore. Oh, alien yeah. who? Who's alien to where? What, what perspective do you have? Yeah, I love that how you said galactic family. Galactic family, yeah. exactly. Because they're That's just, great. they're galactic beings. And some of them are wonderful and fantastic. I mean, hello, is everyone on earth you know, wonderful and fantastic. No. So yeah. just, we just, we just can't, you know, we can't generalize. We've got to have our own experiences and be able to get straight with them. Yeah. All right, Wendy. Well, thanks again. And I wish you a great evening. Thank you. You too, Jeff. Thank you so much for um, having me as a guest. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.